0: Everybody and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and here we are with another episode filled with movies. Uh, there have been a ton of new movies that have come to streaming that I was able to watch. After we talk about that, we will jump into our main feature of The Blue Beetle, which I was able to go see last night. Uh, got some thoughts on that movie for sure, but um let's dive in uh again a lot of really great new movies have hit specifically peacock um so if you don't have peacock i I would recommend getting it just because it's uh like i said there's a lot of a lot of great content is coming there um there's also some good stuff that's been popping up on um paramount plus via showtime now that showtime is a part of paramount plus uh, as long as i keep up with that subscription (laughs) i probably will make it through the year but um first one i wanted to call out movie on peacock called you won't be alone this movie came out last year starring uh, naomi rapace i hope i'm saying her name right uh directed by goran stolveski and uh, this was awesome the the uh plot says it's in an isolated mountain town in 19th century macedonia a young girl is kidnapped and then transformed into a witch by an ancient spirit this is a fascinating movie um it's, uh, it felt like something I'd seen before from a Terrence Malick world, uh, but at the same time it also felt a lot like The Witch, and I saw some reviews out there calling it Terrence Malick's Witch, which I would agree with. Um, you know, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but if you're looking for like an, uh, you know, sort of, a, not, not even edge of your seat, but it's not a horror movie, but at the same time there's just a sense of dread throughout the entire film, especially following this young girl who's transformed into a witch. And also the witch that did it, um, who looks exactly like Deadpool or Freddy Krueger, which is pretty funny. But there's there's some funny moments in this. I watched this with my cousin, and him and I were just joking the entire movie about, you know, we kept saying, could you imagine growing up in 19th century Macedonia? They did a great job, like set design, all of that. Um, I mean, the movie, is uh, there's a lot in it in terms of... Uh, uh, in terms of customs at the time, it, the movie is it—it's it, a foreign film, I believe. I think it was made in Australia, something like that. But uh, it's a, it's one of those you you want to have the subtitles on. But it is very in that time period where you know it's a lot of rocky outcroppings and farms that are failing. You know, very very young civilization, and so it was really fascinating to see kind of what. You know what those types of people did in terms of dealing with a quote unquote witch, or in this case, you know, is actually a witch. Um, and I won't spoil it too much, just to say it was interesting how they tied that into our modern day understanding of what happened with witches and people who were accused of being witches. Um, that might have been my favorite part of the movie. There's also just this idea of you know i guess once you're a witch you you can't go back and you know you can't have the life that you thought you wanted or the life that you deserved um which is sad but also the fault of this witch and uh like i said i don't want to spoil it too much I, i would really recommend checking this movie out just because like i said i think for for those of you who maybe don't really watch this sort of stuff like i'm not a big scary movie kind of person um this movie is not scary and so I think this would be a really good entry point for you. But at the same time, beware. I mean, it's a very adult film in that sense. Um, it's got some spooky moments, got a lot of gore, very disgusting, you know, uh, mutilation, that sort of stuff. Um, but man, I, I, I still think about the movie quite a bit. And I, I thought about it a lot the day after I watched it. I've just like couldn't get it out of my head. It's fascinating. So um, like I said, you won't be alone um, very, very good, uh, another one, I was, so this one was on Showtime, I watched Men, um, the newest Alex Garland movie also came out last year, um, eh, it was okay, uh, I, you know, there were some pieces of it that I thought were really cool, um, I liked, I don't even, I guess it's not a spoiler, you see it in the trailers, but, like, all of the men is the same guy playing them, and I thought that was really cool, the way that he was able to embody so many different characters, um, and there's some moments in it that felt very, uh, I always think translucent, that was the word that popped into my head, but just very ethereal, very like, ooh, what is happening in this movie? Um, and there's a lot of trauma in this movie, too, of just dealing with trauma, so um, it was okay. I mean, I, I don't think I'd ever watch it again, I don't even know if I'd recommend it, but if you're an Alex Garland fan, I'd probably at least check it out, and that's that's kind of why I did. Um, here's a great one, though, back to Peacock, uh, Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson movie, that's right, uh, thank goodness that came because it came and went in theaters i was not able to go see it Uh, and i loved it i thought it was awesome it was a great movie all of the performances were pitch perfect um there's a piece of it where the movie is essentially a it's a play but it's about the play while also being the play and so there's a piece of that that was kind of jarring as they go from the play which is kind of what you see mostly in the in the trailers to backing out and, and a lot of the non-plays in black and white, um, which is totally fine, but I you know, Jeffrey Wright kills it here, Scarlett Johansson, Jason Schwartzman. Um, there's just it's a who's who of characters in this and, and you know obviously it deals with aliens and UFOs, which I'm a huge fan of, and I thought it did justice in that regard. Um, but yeah, no, I would really recommend it. Again, if any any Wes Anderson fans out there, you gotta you gotta check it out. Uh, another one that finally I was able to watch was uh, and this is on prime was air the uh, Ben Ben Affleck directed uh, Matt Damon Ben Affleck Jason Bateman all the bo- the boys are back in town everyone that that's what I think this movie symbolizes um you know it, it's just another case of Damon and Affleck uh, getting back together and just seeing what happens all right you know I can imagine both of them sitting in a room saying, you know, a uh, very big room, very spacious room, uh, and, you know, probably a 52-room mansion, um, saying, you know, laughing about their success. And they said, well, you know, what's next? And um, he says, oh, you know, sky's the limit. And he's like, well, oh, you like the air. He's like, yeah. And he goes, you know what? I, I, I'm i sure. I know for a fact <laughs> that ben, ben Affleck has to be a fan of basketball. He's probably like, Matt, man, like, I've, I've, I've got this idea. I've had this idea in my head about basketball i mean and he's like really really you you serious he's like yeah yeah he's like didn't you just make a basketball movie he's like right you're you're talking about the way back um yes and i understand but this is not going to be your typical basketball movie uh i'm thinking a period piece and he's like really he says yeah absolutely um i'm thinking uh michael jordan and matt damon's eyes just they they light up and he says really now that's, now that is interesting. And he's like, I know, right? You know, what if we, t- what if we made a movie about the shoe and, you know, Matt pauses for a minute and he says, you know, I did do the Martian, but this, this idea sounds out of this world. And he says, right, I know. He's like, nah, well, you know, I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess I, in my head, I feel like Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, all they do is support each other no matter what. And uh, he's like, yeah, you know, I think this could work. He's like, so you're saying you want to make a movie about a shoe? It's like, no, 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 no. I want to make a movie. I want the movie to be about Nike, but not necessarily about Nike, more about, and he starts pointing at Matt Damon, maybe one specific person at Nike, but also me, also me. I, I can play, I'll play the CEO uh, you know, obviously, I'll direct it as well. And, you know, Matt again, Matt, he's, they're just looking for their paychecks, guys. And uh, and I thought this, this was one of those films that, you know, definitely achieved them getting some paychecks. Uh, and, and, you know, as he's explaining this to him, he says, so who are we going to get to play Michael Jordan? And he says, uh, you know, what if we don't have anyone play Michael Jordan? What if we get Viola Davis to play Michael Jordan's mom? And we just let the chips fall where they may, and he says, "You let the chips fall where they may, huh?" That's an interesting directorial strategy, but I'm in it 100 percent, man. That's that's crazy, and uh, so he's like, "All right, you know what? Let's do it." So we'll just have a movie about how they made the the Air Jordan shoe, and honestly, that that's it. I mean, I'm not kidding you. That's basically my review of the movie. I I gave it a seven out of ten. It was a good movie. Um, but there's nothing about it that you know had me running to the hills to tell people, oh, you need to see. And I know I heard some people saying that this was an amazing movie. And hey, if you love this movie, great. We we certainly have a lot of sports films, a lot of these diving into. I mean, look, we just had Flaming Hot, the story behind the Hot Cheetos. Um, we got the Tetris movie, the story behind the guy who did the Tetris. I mean, we're getting to the point where it's like, ooh, who's the who's the guy who made the easy button? For uh, staples, I'm I'm thinking maybe we we uh, you know we could probably pull a movie off about that. Um, that'd be really interesting. Actually, it'd be kind of crazy. What about the guy who invented the keyboard? Ooh, actually, no. I would love to see a movie about the guy who invented the TI-84 calculator. Uh, Texas Instruments, yes, please. Can we get Ben Affleck to direct that too? And maybe we could have in like a twist. Maybe Ben Affleck's the one who um, is like the uh, calculator salesman, and maybe Matt Damon is the CEO of Texas Instruments, and uh, you see where I'm going with this. It, it was fine. Again, you know, not not to take away from the story itself. I found the story very interesting. Um, it's just one of those stories where it's so crazy that you know how the story is going to go from the trailer because it's 2023, and and Air Jordan's the most popular shoe in the world. So to be able to see. The beginning stages of that story—that part was cool. I liked that idea. I liked them bucking the trend. The whole—I um, guess that's—that's that's what I would take away from this movie. And I think this is a message to anyone out there. And hopefully, they took that away too. Is uh, when you're when you're thinking about success, you're thinking about building a business, starting a new venture, whatever that is, whatever that thing is. And I, you know, I learned this at work too. um I sat in on a great presentation uh, a couple months ago. I'm talking about failure and how if you approach things with a positive failure mindset to say, you know what, if I fail, hey, at least I'm going to learn something, but I can't, I couldn't live with myself if I didn't try, right? Think of how many people don't try, how many people don't color outside the lines because they just want to, you know, get the job done. Uh, And that's fine, but it's the people like Matt Damon's character who say, what if we reach a little further? What if we put all of our eggs into this one basket, which is literally something that he tells um, Ben Affleck, uh, and it paid off? And I think, to me, that, that's how companies transform. And, and in this day and age, when everyone and their mom is trying to transform, uh, whether that's from a business perspective, personal perspective, that's the, the message I would take from this, is don't be afraid to take risks. Because you never know if it's going to pay off, and uh, unless, of course, you're watching the movie 20 years later, like we are, and then you know that it pays off. But again, the message is there, right? Don't give up. Uh, you know, if you have an idea that you believe in, stick by that and get other people to believe in it too, because that's that's how that's how it works. Um, uh, next one uh, on Peacock: the Super Mario Brothers movie. It's a me, Mario. Uh, if you're impressed by that uh, <laughs> little, uh, just that quick little interpretation there of Mario, you'll uh, you'll be surprised to know that's basically how it sounds in the movie. Uh, I was not a fan of the Super Mario Brothers movie. I wanted to be. I had a feeling I wasn't going to be. It wasn't as terrible as it probably could have been. But it also wasn't as good as I wanted it to be. And, and you know, not to say that I had any expectations for it, except the expectation that maybe they would have tried something a little crazier than what, what they did here, which was just your classic basic storyline. I will give them props for creating a world where Mario can exist. I think that was cool. Uh, I won't spoil those pieces just because I, I I do think that part was interesting of like, okay... You know, going from the real world to, I don't know what you call it, Mario Land. I I was pretty. I played Super Mario Brothers on the Super Nintendo when I was a kid. I played Yoshi's Island. Those were really the two Mario games uh, that I played funny. My wife actually has played more Mario games than me. Um, I played, you know, Mario Kart, Super Smash Brothers. uh, And there's a couple of moments in the movie that honor some of those things that I also thought was pretty cool. Uh, But then there's about 90% of the rest of the movie that's also trying to quote-unquote honor. Um, We can easily slide in the word nostalgia instead, and it clearly felt that way because I didn't enjoy it. It was a lot of, hey, you know, you remember this guy, you remember this thing, you remember this thing. But then also, uh, in all respect to Mr. Chris Pratt, look, I, I grew up on Andy Dwyer. I've been rooting for this guy since the beginning. I don't understand why everyone thinks that Chris Pratt needs to be in their movie. I don't know how you can have what I'm assuming, and I'm hoping, is hundreds of people um, trying to play the voice of Mario, and they chose Chris Pratt. In this movie, he goes between what seems like a sort of New York accent, to an Italian accent, to a regular Chris Pratt accent, um... Charlie Day plays his brother, Luigi. He was pretty good. Uh, but there was just a piece of it where I, you know, like, Anya, Anya, okay, so Anya Taylor-Joy as Peach. Um, there was a moment or two where I was like, that's Anya Taylor-Joy. Jack Black as uh, uh, Bowser. Couldn't even tell. There was a couple moments where, you know, I knew it was Jack Black. But they were doing a really good job. The entire movie, all I saw was Chris Pratt as Mario, which was a bummer. They could have easily gotten some no-name person who and it's not even about the fact that chris pratt is not an italian and maybe he is maybe he's a little bit italian but speaking as an italian um I, i'm not bothered by that i don't care you could brought anybody in to play the character i just want someone who's gonna make you think of mario and chris pratt did not do that so that was unfortunate as well also um seth rogan as donkey kong uh, was weirdly inspired. Uh, I couldn't um, I couldn't shake the fact that it was Seth Rogen, but at the same time, I kept thinking, like, this kind of works. This is pretty good. But like I said, to me, plot was very basic. Um, I liked the idea that um, Pete... I think my favorite scene in the movie was when Peach is kind of the badass and she's showing Mario the ropes. I thought that was really cool and it actually plays into the plot of the story, which I liked a lot. Um. So there's some changes that actually made a lot of sense to me that I enjoyed. I'm looking here on IMDb. There's four directors for this movie. I don't know. Look, hey, I'm watching it on streaming. I know this movie made so much money. It's one of the highest grossing movies of the year, and that's great. I'm glad we got kids out there. I'm glad we got parents taking their kids to go see this movie. I just hope that when the inevitable sequel comes, they're going to have to dig deep for some material. Otherwise, they're going to fall into that Trolls category, the um, emoji Movie type category of, you know we don't know what we're doing, but we know we can put some music in here and the kids are going to love it. Um, so that's, that's my review. I give the movie a 5 out of 10. Um, another really great one. This was a Criterion film. I just have to call this out. This was a Criterion film. It does say that it was on Stars. I have a physical copy of it. That's how I got it. But um, Cassie Lemon's uh, directorial debut. She also wrote it, Eve's Bayou from 1997. Um, This was one of those ones whenever there's a Criterion sale, uh, which happens twice a year, uh, usually February, March, September, October, and um, my brothers and I, we, we, uh, we get a couple of movies. And so a couple of those are usually ones where it's like, hey, this is a classic, been waiting to buy this movie. But then we also do a bunch of blind buys. And it's like, ooh, this plot sounds really interesting, blah, blah, blah. And so this one was one of those. I was like, ooh. Um, at least the way it says on here. So it says, what did little Eve see and how will it haunt her? Husband, father, and womanizer, Louis Baptiste, is the head of an affluent family. Uh, but it's the women who rule this gothic world of secrets, lies, and mystic forces. I couldn't resist. Uh, and it paid off. It was an awesome movie. Samuel L. Jackson... Um, plays, I think think it's Louis, Louis Batiste, and then Journey, Journey Smollett, Um, she is Little Eve, so this was her first, um, this was her first role, movie role, which is crazy, you may all know her from Birds of Prey, Um, she was amazing in that too, but this was a really powerful movie, I thought Samuel L. Jackson absolutely killed it, I'm shocked, I'm assuming he didn't get nominated for this, certainly didn't win, because I don't think he's ever won, but I would have given him an Oscar for this movie with the way this was portrayed. Very nuanced film, certainly for 1997. You think about it, you got a, a female writer and director behind the screen, um, all black cast, which was awesome, and obviously director is black as well. So you've got this very cultural, culturally specific film, but it's not the typical movie that you would have seen in that day. Which you know you've got your New Jack City, just that typical, you know, we're, we're staying in the hood or in the urban areas. Eve's Bayou takes place in Louisiana, and she's from an affluent family. And the really cool piece of the story is, and again, I'm not going to spoil the story, but um, the, the beginning of it is that she's the descendant of Eve, who was a slave in that area. Some, um, <clears throat> I guess it was like a white soldier or something like that, was dying in the area. She saved his life and in exchange he gave her her freedom um it was enjoyable to watch at the time you know when you're thinking about like so did he was he like the slave owner i'm not a, he just gave her freedom uh, i don't know how that would have worked back then but it was a cool story because then you know they fell in love uh, i don't know if it, they don't mention if it was love though and and uh again i think uh cassie lemons was very particular about every scene about every piece of the script and the way that they, she's describing the story this is like a voiceover at the beginning of the movie um essentially explained that she had like 16 kids something like that so I, you know I'm not sure what it was but those children all became the descendants of this even they're in this bayou area it's just was it's a it's a really powerful movie with a really good message of um just you know there's a female empowerment message but just of you know loving your family uh and then dealing with the um extramarital struggles that uh i guess you know samuel L. jackson's having to deal with in this movie uh and that i think in that time period a lot of people were dealing with too because other characters in the movie kind of had similar things going on there's a lot of uh, hanky panky going on down at the bayou and again from a child's perspective um witnessing something that you know she couldn't even imagine, and now has this trauma that she has to deal with growing up, especially in a time when she's, uh, you know, developing as well. Uh, was just it was pow- it was a powerful film. I can't wait to watch it again. Um, I'm at this is uh, this is why I love Criterion and bl- blind buying movies there because you know a lot of the times I didn't grow up with this kind of films, and I I need to see this stuff because um, it's just different perspectives that I've never seen before, and so to see a movie told this way with such a specific purpose, um, was was amazing. Also, the older sister in here, uh, I think her name is Megan Good, she's one of the Shazam family members uh, when they turn into Shazam, uh, which was really cool to see. She was younger as well. Um, So, yeah, so that was great. Uh, But that leads us all to our main event, which is Blue Beetle. Um, directed by Angel Manuel Soto, starring um, you know it's funny they haven't done any press for this so here we go I'm gonna probably butcher his name but I'm I'm guessing it's um, Solo Mario Duena uh, along with Bruna Marquezine Becky G Damian Alcazar also you got classic George Lopez Susan Sarandon uh, and uh, I I always mess up his name I'm gonna look him up just to make sure but Guillermo from uh, uh, What We Do in the Shadows who is Harvey Guillen. Um, So that was really cool to see him as well. Um, This movie was exactly what I thought it was going to be, and I think that's a hurt and a help for it. So um, I'm trying to decide if I want to talk full spoilers for this. I'll I'll call out when I'm going to talk some spoilers. I don't want to spoil too much, but I do want to kind of dive into the film. So it's about... Uh, Well, it says here, an alien scarab chooses college graduate Jaime Reyes to be its symbiotic host, bestowing a teenager with a suit of armor that's capable of extraordinary and unpredictable powers, forever changing his destiny as he becomes the superhero known as the Blue Beetle uh there's some really great moments in this movie the scene when he's transforming into the blue beetle that first time you know you see it in the trailers they show you a lot of stuff in the trailers so uh, if the trailers had you interested you should check out this movie um if the trailers didn't have you interested you're probably not going to like the movie um but that his transformation is terrifying it's very scary some body horror for sure um it actually felt scary i was like holy cow okay so this is definitely you know it's earning pg 13 rating um, there's also some really good fights. Again, you see most of them in the trailer, uh, including a badass fight with a sword. Which uh, again, I was hoping for maybe one more big fight, but I guess they had to, you know, put it all. They they did. They had to put their life on the line in that trailer, and I don't blame them. You know, the way that DC is going right now, and we're gonna talk about that too. But I thought the performances were great. George Lopez stole the movie for me, though. Also, I loved um, that main character Jaime Reyes, um, played by it's. I, so, like, Soichi is um, X-O, and his name is X-O-L-O, and I want to say it's Sholo or Solo, I, I'm not sure, and I, I apologize for that, but that is a very cool name, speaking from someone who also has an X in his name, uh, but he did a fantastic job, I really hope this opens some doors for him, uh, it sounds like he was on Cobra Kai, I never watched that, but the question's on my mind when this movie's ending is, is um this is a powerful move well i guess not a question but it's a powerful movie about family and they did a fantastic job of just showing a loving uh a loving family especially you know in the context of this film when you've got a you know the main character he just graduated from college first person in his family to do so but the family's on hard times. They're struggling to uh, support themselves, to support the, the housing conditions. There's a lot of parallels in this to the real world, even though it takes place in a fake, uh, fake place that I think is Miami. Um, but regardless, it's him, his younger sister, uh, his mom and his dad, his uncle, uh, and then his grandma, his Nana. And so it was really cool to see that dynamic. I know a lot of people, and I, I've had moments of that too, with that, you know that many people in the house at the same time. Um, you know, that multi-generational families, um, which I just, I love because I feel like there's, there's just such a connection between everybody. And it really felt like that in this movie. It felt like everyone knew each other. It felt like they were all related. Um, and then, you know, the best part is when he turns into Blue Beetle, they're all there. And so you're skipping over that incredibly annoying, um, you know, oh, he's got a secret identity that he's got to keep from his family. They all know it. They all support him. And they support whatever it is that he wants to do you know at a point he's like i gotta get this thing out of me they're like all right well we'll help you do that so the family aspects is what pushed this movie over the edge for me i gave it a seven out of ten to me it was a good movie would i see it again maybe i mean if it was on or if i was watching with people who hadn't seen it i probably would i laughed quite a bit in the movie um, but I'm not going to be seeking it out in that sense. And I think what prevented me from giving it a lower rating was the family aspect. The action was cool too. I mean, the suit was awesome. Um, the scenes where he's flying around were cool. But there's just a lot of basic, basic plot in here—just your classic superhero origin story. And I think that the the other thing that plagues this movie is unfortunately the same thing that plagued the last few movies for DC—is that. And this is this is an this is a plague that is so hyper specific to comic books um and it's funny because we i keep seeing it in the reviews too oh you know people are just getting tired of superhero movies people are not getting tired of superhero movies they are getting tired of the superhero movies that are being made and that's a very different thing we've talked about that on prior episodes right You got to make a movie good. You have to make it matter. You have to have it singularly matter that specific movie. It's not that it matters because it's tied to other things; matters because it is on its own a great movie with powerful characters, a great story, all of that. And when a movie doesn't check those boxes or it thinks that it can get away with the basic superhero formula, yeah, you're going to get fatigue, and you get that fatigue from everything, right? I mean, think about it. I can't remember if we talked about this i know i talked about it with someone but just look at the amount of comedies that come out these days there aren't as many comedies and so you'd think that people would be saying that there's comedy movie fatigue uh, but they don't say that they don't you, there's no other movie that is talked about in that same way except for superhero films and i think that's because they've had such a renaissance and have done so well that it's just another way for people to knock them down and, and that's fine you know if a movie's bad you got to call that out there are certain movies superhero movies included that are not good uh, but you can't blame it on the entire uh, genre if you even want to call it a genre. And maybe that is the problem too, right? If we focus too much on the superhero, you're missing out on the human aspect of being a superhuman. And so um, this movie, in that respect, did a really good job of of showing him as a human. Um, but at the same time, like I said, when it ever got into superhero mode, it was totally, oh, the, you know, so many moments. I, I, I will not spoil it. But there are scenes in here that are shot for shot to the point, you know, for anyone else who's a huge uh, superhero fan, or specifically maybe Marvel and DC, um, you're going to catch these as well. Iron Man 2 with Whiplash. Um, Captain Marvel with the mind machine, her hanging in the mind machine upside down. Uh, With, uh, I know a couple of the DC movies probably had callbacks in here too. Spider-Man for sure, the whole young hero identity thing. Um, I think what made this movie in its own right unique though is just the whole scarab of it all the fact that like that whole transformation of him into blue beetle i've never seen that before i mean the closest thing we could get to something like that is werewolf by night and this is nothing like that movie so in that respect it's very interesting but the villain completely one-dimensional the i mean the main villain right susan sarandon yes completely one-dimensional she's underutilized her henchman who's the guy who kind of fights blue beetle same thing he's given an interesting backstory but it is at the very end of the movie um and then the last thing i'll say and i'm not even going to spoil it but there's uh there's some scenes in here that are pretty uh traumatic and um i would just say go into this film maybe expecting some bad things to happen that way you're not taken by surprise. I wasn't, you know, traumatized while I watched it, but I was like, "Oh, whoa." Um I didn't expect what was going to happen to happen and when it did, and you'll know it. This is the, you know, it's the one thing I don't know if anyone else is talking about, but it's it's the big thing in the movie. You're not going to be able to miss it. Um but that moment ends up propelling him and turning him into the blue beetle for certain, and I think that whole story was beautiful and again when you when you bring it back to the family that is what made this movie special the family the embracing of latino culture uh really you know shines in here and i you know everyone's saying it and i'm I'm glad to kind of agree with all of that too right it's a lot of spanish a lot of subtitles which is awesome that's how it should be um a lot of you know catches and mentions things that i didn't get but I know other people in the audience, our audience, we had two people in there. But I'm sure, bigger audience, when a lot of people were going, definitely certain, certain groups of people were probably going to love this movie, which is great. That's what it's meant for, right? We're getting superhero movies for everybody now. Um, the problem is you just got to go back to making it a good superhero movie. But that goes back to the whole DC conversation, because when you've got a company like Warner Brothers pulling Batgirl off Blue Beetle was originally going to be streaming on HBO Max and they said, well, we're going to make this, uh, we'll put this in theaters. Why didn't they do that for Batgirl 2? There's a great chance, based on what I heard, Batgirl would have probably been better than Blue Beetle. And so it's just, uh, going back to what I said a couple minutes ago, these last few DC movies have just felt so hollow. And I say that even understanding that I loved The Flash and that movie is probably going to be in my top 10 for the year um i didn't think that one was super hollow but there were moments of it where it just okay you know what as i'm thinking about it i actually really did like the flash so maybe not including the flash black adam even though black adam had some amazing scenes and everything with the justice society but definitely shazam 2 and now blue beetle these movies just, they, they've got this piece that's missing, and it isn't a, you need to connect to the DC Universe, because, I will spoil this, there isn't really a connection to the DC Universe in this Blue Beetle movie. It's not about that. It's not about having to connect it, or not connecting it. It is just, can this movie stand on its own? And I think when saffran and gun announced the new slate of movies and this new reboot of the dc universe again totally fine and a great idea that's what they do in the comics but in the same breath the comics will announce something here's a perfect example and i'm not spoiling this because they spoiled it marvel in the comics um and i actually just read these um today on my lunch break uh, miss marvel died spoiler alert um, and the, oh, oh no, <laughs> trust me, she's not dead. She isn't dead for long. Um, they they announced a huge, huge news. They basically said, holy cow, holy crap and crud, The um, there's a huge death, basically, that's going to be taking place in Amazing Spider-Man 26 to try and drum up sales for the issue, right? And then before this issue even comes out, they announced that it is the death of Miss Marvel. So you've already spoiled your own comic. And then they did this because they're making a one-shot comic called Fallen Friend. That was what they announced it, it as Fallen Friend, but they didn't call it anything else. It's Fallen Friend, the death of Captain Marvel. Or Miss Marvel. Um Kamala Khan. But then guess what? Before and this is before. So I've I've seen this now. I've seen this as articles because they're announcing it. They're trying to drum up the buzz hasn't even come out yet so when it does i'm already spoiled reading this book but then they uh, they've made her a mutant and currently in the comics mutants can't die they can be resurrected so they resurrect miss marvel in the hellfire gala one shot uh, which was an awesome one shot holy crap Um, so much else happens in that one shot that may i mean even her coming back to life was incredible in there but the fact that you tried to market this death knowing and i even commented on i may have commented on this podcast i I definitely said something about it in that idea of oh well she's going to come back this isn't a big deal and sure enough here they come saying here she is coming back and to me that is exactly what this feels like is you're announcing a rebooted universe but oh we also have to release all these other movies that we made and so you have you have three different types of people going to the movies for a movie like this, at least that, yeah, as I'm thinking. You've got the diehard superhero DC fan. They're going to see this movie regardless. They want to see this movie. And, and this is, yeah, you could call them a true fan, right? Maybe they're just a fan of movies. Hey, I want to check out Blue Beetle. I want to see if it's good. Okay, great. Awesome. But then you're going to have the other person who wants to see it to see how is this going to connect to the rest of the dc universe they care more about that right those are the same people that get upset about well we haven't gotten enough information in all of these marvel movies they're not connecting to anything um they're complaining more about the things that are happening after the movie than enjoying the movie itself and then there's another group of them that aren't even going to go see the movie because they're going to say what's the point this movie doesn't connect to the new dc universe why would i even go see this it's the same thing for um, for Black Adam. Same thing, certainly for Shazam. You, and you see it in the um, in the box office. I mean, I've seen some arguments saying that the box office is being affected by um, you know the actors and screenwriters not being able to promote the film. That might be true, but I also think it's because people, certain people, uh, just they're boycotting these movies. And they don't call it a boycott, but again, if you it's right wrong or indifferent if someone were to tell you hey we're going to reboot this thing we're going to start making a brand new set of movies um and that's all but also go see this old movie there's a lot of people that'd be like well but why am i going to waste my money on this movie if you're telling me that it doesn't matter and like i said that is the that is the cross that comic books and now comic book movies have to bear i guarantee you that we are going to get into the same situation um, come Secret Wars. Uh, you know we've talked about it on prior episodes. Um, good chance that that movie resets some things, right? You're talking about Battle World. You're talking about the multiverse saga, pulling in characters from other universes. Going, oh well, maybe we'll we'll soft reboot this or not reboot that. And you're gonna have people who are gonna say, not my Marvel, right? My Marvel was the prior six one six universe. Um, before all these incursions and battle world and whatever ends up happening in that movie you know because that's i I am 99 percent sure i mean it only makes sense right that that's what they're going to do speaker wars ends and that that saga ends right the multiverse saga ends proving that the multiverse exists there's other universes out there and ours has been rebooted To include characters like the X-Men, the Fantastic Four. Oh, well, where have the X-Men been the whole time? Well, in this new universe, they've been there the whole time. That sort of stuff. And uh I I think that's the same thing with DC, and that's fine. That's again, that's comic books. That's how those comics have been in business for 70 years at this point. You can't have you can't tell a story with one character for 70 years without rebooting them a couple of times. And it's very easy to do that in a comic book, right? It's just something you're drawing. It's a character you're creating with words and pictures. It's a lot different in a movie universe where people become a lot more invested. There's a lot more people watching the movie and there's actual human beings playing these characters. So when you say, "Oh, I'm going to reboot this reboot this universe," um it just doesn't add up, right? You know, in the comics, for example, Captain America goes from being a regular, you know, normal Captain America to becoming very old, right? He gets, in the comics, he gets hit by this guy named the Iron Nail and uh, kind of saps him of his suit, so he becomes an old man, just the same as what happens in Endgame. But, a la comics, he somehow gets that power back through, like, the Cosmic Cube or something like that, and now he's young again. Well, you can't make Chris Evans young again if you decide to do that same storyline in 10 years, right? You can't do that with Hugh Jackman and Wolverine, who's a character who heals, right? So he can never be old. But in real life, he can't. So there's a lot of things that I think these movies are having to deal with once you've become a behemoth. Once you've done this for 10 plus years, DC and Marvel, there's, just, there's ropes that you're going to have to jump over. And you just got to hope that the fans are going to jump with you. And Blue Beetle is a great example of that. Are the fans jumping with you? I, I don't know. It made 25 million when it came out, which uh, was the number one movie of the weekend. So I think that says that it was successful. But I think everyone else would say that is not successful because the budget was higher. There's marketing involved, um, and it again, it just it didn't wow anyone. No one no one has wrote a review yet that I've seen that said this is the greatest movie ever. Everyone has just been saying either this movie is really good. Or you can clearly tell in some of these that they're trying to hype it up a little more than it needs to be. And again, hey, I get it. I get it. We're trying to get people to go see these movies. But the best way to do so is to make a good movie. Full stop. You got to make a really good movie. You got to get the right actors. Check. They did that. You got to get a great story. Eh, some parts of it. Um, you got to have good action. They had that. It's just that some pieces just didn't fall into place. And so the question then becomes are we going to get a Blue Beetle sequel? I don't know. I don't know. The uh stay stay after for their uh, there's a mid-credits and a post-credits scene. The mid-credits scene might indicate that there could be something but you know we don't know because the new universe is a uh, new DC universe is there but my money is on them doing something in the future with him just because uh, Mr. Maridueña uh did such a good job. I could easily see them bringing him and his whole family including George Lopez um back. Uh, I will advise that there is a post-credits scene at the very very end that you do not need to stay for um it is it is one of those you know you stayed till the end of the movie but it's not like captain america one where it's like oh my goodness it's a captain america. you know batman is not at the very end of this movie telling you ha 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 you waited and it's not joker either um it really isn't anything but it's more of just a oh, i can't believe it. all the all the people who sat in the, it was me and my buddy and then there was two other people who were there and after it, we were all like, are you kidding me? <laughs> so if you don't want to get super upset by the end of it, just leave after the mid credit scene. Um, but that's, that's Blue Beetle. So like I said, there's a lot of baggage with this movie. There's a lot of baggage with the last few movies. But um, we've only got a few more DC movies until things start fully resetting. Um, I didn't talk about it, but I did watch Man of Steel again recently, and that had me really excited. Um, we might have to do a DC episode towards the end of the year. Just excited for a new Superman movie. I loved Henry Cavill and I loved Man of Steel. Great movie. Um, I loved all of Zack Snyder's films, but just the idea of like having another Superman that maybe we'll dig into it from a different angle—that really excites me. So I'm I'm very uh, I'm very optimistic about DC's future. Uh, optimistic, honestly, about DC's current movies. Just because I gave this movie a seven doesn't mean it's bad, right? This is a good movie. I think more people need to see it than have seen it. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you're not... There's other movies you could probably go see that you might enjoy more than Blue Beetle. But if you're looking for something fun, I know this weekend uh, on Sunday is National Cinema Day. There are a lot of theater chains doing $4 movies. Maybe you make this your movie. Uh, I might go try and see The Meg or something like that. I'm, I haven't fully decided yet, but I definitely want to take part. But that's where we're going to wrap things up. So... Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, For Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we will see you at the movies.